0: Hey, welcome to night school. I'm not feeling well at all. Uh, just, my lungs are very heavy. Feeling fine the last few days. You know, I don't know what's going on with me. It could be It could be the big bug. It could be. I didn't think I had it. Uh, I haven't had most of the symptoms, but today I'm just not feeling well. But I gotta do something. I gotta talk. Um, you know, what I've noticed so far with this uh, corona pandemonium is people are in their houses and they're around their stuff. And I know a lot of people through music and art, and in particular, you know, underground music, uh, these different subcultures. It's where I know a lot of people, a lot of people who are wonderful and great people. Some of my favorite people I'm closer to than anybody else in the world, really, in many ways. Uh, And, and, uh, so, But I'm noticing, like, you know, people are around their stuff. And it's interesting how this has really brought out this sort of corona materialism. <laughs> and, and it makes sense. You know, people are around their stuff. So what are they going to do? They're going to just immerse themselves in it. They're bored. You know, they want to take that stuff into account. But I'm seeing things like people posting photos of their record collection and all of that. And it reminds me of... Scrooge McDuck swimming in his own vault. It reminds me a lot of that, where it's just kind of immersed, you know, because it already is this very material obsession, record collecting, and there's a reason why that's a stereotype. There's a reason why the record collector is already a stereotype. And so it's given people this opportunity to really immerse themselves in their things. And I have a lot of records, you know, I stopped buying them a few years ago, um, I'm not in a position to really even buy them, you know, if I could. But I I realized in not being able to buy many records the last couple years, I've realized uh, I don't care. I really don't care. I realized how unimportant that actually was to me and how much of that was, even though I loved the records themselves, I loved the art, I loved the music, it's made me realize how little I actually cared about having a collection and... Owning physical records, how unimportant that was when it came to actually appreciating them. And there is something to the way records sound. There is something to that experience. So it's not that so much, but uh, you know, the excitement of getting records, getting them in the mail, finding them in stores. I realized that while that was exciting, it really wasn't something I was after. So it's interesting that you know what's come out of this right now, an immediate um, result of people being on lockdown is they're, you know, diving into their own vault. And uh, all the power to them, you know, that's important to people. And I I do respect it. I think it's cool to have an interest in things to have taste. Um, But it's it's it is funny to see it. It's funny how this has really brought out this sort of materially material focus, materially focused uh, lifestyle. And I'm curious to see where it all goes. Because to me, I feel very very detached from the things that I like and I thought were important. And I've actually found myself really enjoying music right now. Just the sound of music itself. I've kind of cleansed myself over the last couple of years and not really spent as much time listening to music as I used to. I could go in deep about it and I won't I'll just say that it just hasn't that's another thing that just hasn't been as important to me but I have found that listening to music in the current context the right music has had a a very cool effect but it is interesting and, and you know my own path in life you know when I was a teenager I mean the coolest thing in the world to me were records I've always loved CDs so I'm not just some record guy I've never considered myself a record collector, you know. To somebody who doesn't have any records, I seem like a record collector. But to somebody who collects records, my collection is quite small. And uh, But I'm someone who, when I was a teenager, you know, getting CDs, records, tapes, all that stuff was very important to me. It was very much a part of my identity. I felt like I was uh, always climbing some kind of mountain where I, I need to get this. Oh, I don't have that. I have this hole in my collection. This is important. This is important to me. And for me, too, as a creative person, you know, my goal, when I was, when I first got into, you know, certain subcultures, certain types of music, I was very much, you know, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to make records. I wanted to to draw things that I liked, above all else. Because at the the end of the day, you want to create things you like. You want to challenge yourself, but you want to create things that you can appreciate. It doesn't mean you have to immerse yourself in them. It doesn't mean you have to create your own world of entertainment where you're just uh, getting high on your own supply all the time, because that has its downsides for sure. But you do fundamentally want to make things you like, that you appreciate. And of course, the things that you already like, made by other people, influence you. And you're going to get glimpses of that in most cases. You know, you're truly phenomenal if you can create something that doesn't have any traces of your influences in it. But it's still something that you personally like. That's a really interesting phenomenon. And um, it's exceptional, though. It is definitely a case of, uh, it's an exceptional circumstance that anybody's ever able to do that. Uh, sometimes people do it for commercial reasons, too. They create something that they wouldn 't personally like, but they do a good job at it because they know that it will sell more so there 's that side of it too but people don 't just do that sometimes they are able to create something that is not simply a product of their own taste you know and and it just but it still manages to satisfy them and that 's it 's fascinating you know the creative process is very fascinating and uh it's it's hard to even uh, get into because it it does go so far beyond our understanding of science you know you can't measure these things you can't graph these things out and that's what makes creativity what it is and as much as there is stuff that is just the product of putting two ideas together to diff- for you know to different ends I mean sometimes that can create really cool things and sometimes it can create the absolute worst sometimes hybrid music genres are some of the most unbearable things to hear and sometimes it creates something brand new that uh, kind of drops you know it it drops the aspects of the things it's combining that don't work together and combines the things that do work together. And the end result is something that's almost unrecognizable when you compare it to its influences. And that's happened a lot in music. So yeah, creativity itself is is fascinating. Um, But going back, when I was a teenager, you know, my goal was just, I want to make cool things. And I don't mean cool as in popular. I don't mean that. I just mean things that I think are cool. And you do want other people to like them, too. And I was able to do that. You know, that's something that I realized a few years ago. I was like, oh, you know, I reached my teenage goal. I I played in some bands. I made some records. And I have done art that I'm proud of. But I never really felt like I was there. You know, I, I never felt like I climbed any mountain or anything like that. And I think creative people rarely feel that way. And if they do feel that way, I wonder what's really going on. Because you see that even the most successful people, even the most popular artists, still have this feeling of sometimes insecurity, but also like they're still climbing. And they'll always tell you in interviews, you know, we, our, our last rec- our, our current record's the best one. Oh we think our new lineup, you know, Slayer got rid of Dave Lombardo and you know recruited the some new drummer and like the Suicidal Tendencies, I'm talking about Metallica now. Uh who cares? <laughs> who cares? But no, it's like, you know, Slayer got rid of Dave Lombardo and they'll tell you in like an interview like, "Oh, we think our new lineup's the strongest yet." Cuz that's how Slayer sounds. You know, or Metallica for that matter. It's like, oh, we got, we got the guy from Suicidal Tendencies on bass. We think this is probably the strongest lineup. Yeah, it's just what they say. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, but is it healthy to say, oh, we think our best bass player was Cliff Burton who died and we'll never have him back again. Is that the right mindset either? Probably not. It's probably best to have a crea- uh, a positive mindset about your current creativity. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know if there's really a best way to do it. And then, of course, when you get into bands like Metallica and Slayer, they're basically corporations. I mean, they are. And I'm not saying that to discredit their music. I'm not saying that to discredit what they're doing. Whether I like it or not, I'm not doing that to discredit their later music. Only saying that they are institutions, they are essentially corporations. And they are looking out for the interests of that corporation because they and their families live off of it. And that's an incredible thing, too to think that this could sustain me for a lifetime, for multiple lifetimes. I mean, the children's children of Metallica will probably be spending dollars earned by James Hetfield, you know what I mean? To think about that. Um, that's pretty incredible. That's creative. That that outlives, uh <laughs> you know, that that outlives uh, Enter Sandman, that outlives Fade to Black, that dollar bill that James Hetfield's great-grandson is going to spend on a hot dog. But it's interesting stuff. But for me personally, yeah, it's like having realized I'd met some of my basic goals. Because it wasn't like I wanted to go anywhere beyond that. It was like just playing in a band, just recording music, sound, being able to draw. There were these basic creative goals that I didn't even... It's not like I thought about it at the time. It wasn't like I was like, "Oh, I want to do this. I want to this is exactly what I want to get out of this." It was just I am into this. This is important to me. But then a part of that was, you know, being a fan, being a listener and wanting to own things. And those those things that I own being a part of my identity. And there was always something a little that never sat completely easy on my stomach about, you know, owning records or having a record collection or or placing a lot of emphasis on that. And I've never been someone who really likes having conversations about that. You know, I don't like those insider discussions where everybody's talking about this pressing of this and, no you got that version. And I always just wanted a version that sounded right, that looked right. The details don't really matter to me. It doesn't make me any better than anybody else. It was just something that on a gut level, you know, that was my approach on a gut level. Um, so it is interesting that this has brought out this like kind of Scrooge McDuckie, McDuckie, the Scrooge McDucky sort of diving into your vault uh, sort of thing. I'm, You know, you're isolated in your in your home, and, and what are you going to do? Of course you're going to dig into that stuff. I mean, if it were books, that'd be another thing, too. You know, uh, I think this is a great opportunity to do some reading. Um, but uh, but reading is a little different, because it's really all about just getting those words in your head. Whereas there's this whole other culture, this subculture, this hierarchy based around record collecting. And all kinds of genres. I mean, there's some people who bridge a lot of gaps. There are some people who want to do and be all. They got to own everything. They got to own the first pressing, mint condition of everything. I remember reading, uh, meeting, reading. I remember reading a record collector. Uh, I remember meeting a record collector years ago, an acquaintance, not somebody I was ever friends with, really, but. Uh, We were talking about some records, and he had some records that were really rare at the time. They hadn't been reissued, and I really wanted them, and he hadn't even listened to them. And I was just like, whoa. he's just Because he was in this network of people where you just get things, and one of the reasons you get things is so that you can trade them further. You get something you don't care about that's rare so that you can trade it for something you potentially care about. So there's this whole... um, there's this network that's based around that, you know, and, and it's currency, and that's interesting, and that's cool, because it's a currency separate from our monetary currency, um, and it's and it takes knowing people, it takes knowing the right people and being able to negotiate the right deals, having the thing they want. And getting something that you might not even want, but you know you can use that to get something else you might want. And there might be several other steps in between. That's pretty fucking interesting. And I actually wish I was somebody who was that shrewd. Not even because I I want the records or that I want to be able to accumulate that stuff. But I think that's just a great skill to have in general. To have that kind of networking and negotiation skill is truly interesting and valuable. No matter what you're into or what you're doing. Uh, But for me, like, I mentioned that I've been more into music the last few weeks. I've just been wanting to check out music and revisit music. And I think with everything going on, it's interesting how music does have a relationship to what is going on. And not emotionally. I mean, my interest in music, I've never been someone who wants to listen to a song because it's how I feel. This is how I feel right now. And this song, this song feels like I feel. You know, I've never been that kind of person, but it, it for me, my interest in art and music, it's all about those intangibles. If I feel sad, I'm just going to feel sad. I know what that feeling is. If I'm happy, I know what that feeling is. So my interest in music, and I think esotericism in general, and of course my music and interest in art has played into certain esoteric topics over the years, Uh, and I think one of the reasons that is, is because there are these intangible sensations that they capture that do give me a reaction. And I'm not going to say I'm experiencing a reaction that nobody else feels that the regular range of human emotions don't feel, but it does cap cap capture, uh, some, I'm doing accents without even wanting to anymore. That's how, you know, I'm really sick. Um, uh, but, uh, (laughs) involuntary accents. Uh, but, uh, that's my band. I'm Come check out my band. My band's tour got canceled, cause of the virus. We're called the Involuntary Accents, um, but we're gonna create some good art and music, cause we're stuck inside. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh. Yeah, music and and art and stuff, it's been a way to capture these kind of intangible sensations that the normal human emotions don't necessarily cover. Or if they do, it hits upon them in a different way. It's more subliminal. Uh, But uh, so it's been interesting, but I've just been like playing stuff on YouTube. You know, I own records. I haven't even touched my record player in months. I haven't touched my tape player, you know. I listen to CDs in the car. I I love CDs. I think it was when I grew up. I just love something just convenient and nice about CDs. Uh, So I'm not somebody who... While I do enjoy owning the physical format, while I do enjoy owning a physical item, I do like that. Uh, For me, it's like there's no real hierarchy for me between vinyl and cds and tapes or anything else it's, or, even, or even computer stuff at this point i'm even completely fine with just people uploading i mean i'll, I'll listen to things that i own on multiple formats on youtube just because i just want to hear it and i don't want to go through the song and dance um, but uh but yeah it's 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 been interesting to kind of observe this to observe the way that These items we own define us, and they they give people solace. You know, I think it's giving people comfort that these things that they've surrounded themselves with are available to them at home. And they can grab those, they can go through them. It's probably making people give those things a little more attention than they even normally give them. Just like Scrooge is giving his uh, shiny coins a little more attention than he would normally give them when he swims through them. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's something to to pay attention to, too, is like there's a tendency for people to look down upon money. There's this kind of disrespect of money, even though it's something we all need to varying degrees. There's this kind of need to look down upon money, especially if you come from this subcultural world of records. You know, they generally come from a more subversive place, You know, they're not going to be coming from the place of, like, loving the government, loving the economy, loving the institutions. They tend to be anti—no matter what it is, they tend to be anti-institution, anti-government, subversive in some way or another. And you see that even with—I mean, there's metal records that are right-wing— There's punk records that are left-wing, and you'll see that they both have a similarly anti-government, anti-institutional outlook. And probably look down on, you know, money. Like the idea of a rich person swimming in their own wealth, even just metaphorically, you know, even if it... Because, you know, just looking at your online bank account, looking at your bank statement is a form of Scrooge swimming through his own wealth... Just because you're looking at the numbers doesn't mean you're not swimming in it. But coins are pretty cool too, and you can see where that's another form of collecting. Where people, we we don't tend to value current money. We don't tend to look at the latest twenty dollar bill or the latest uh, quarter and think this is really cool and collectible. It's just something we can spend. But you know, you wait a hundred years and it becomes something cool. You look at you know people have been collecting coins forever. People collect ancient coins, currency. So it's not really that far removed. Collecting something like records isn't that far removed from just appreciating money. Because it's one of those collector niches that have been around now for a very long time. I mean, there was a, a store in the town I grew up with, it's no longer around, owned by an old man called Stamps, Coins, and Comics they also had trading cards. It was just an all-around collector shop. They didn't have records, but it was stamp, stamps, coins, and comics. And you know, it's all it, there's. There's a. It's all just things that people collect, and collecting is cool. I'm someone who likes physical material things, so I completely understand it. But I also won't pretend that collecting records is any is any better than collecting coins or collecting stamps. You know, yeah, you can listen to it, sure. That makes it cool. There's this other aspect to it that is different. But that's actually not what you're doing. Not entirely. You know, when people do, like I was talking about the guy I knew years ago who collected records that he didn't even care about. And we all have records we don't like. Even if we thought we liked them when we got them, you see how it's kind of socially enforced. Because I remember having this feeling that I needed to own certain records because someone might someday look at my record collection and tell me I didn't have something that was super important and therefore my credibility was nothing. I remember having that I remember having that concern, thinking like, oh God, like maybe someday like I'll have some friend who I really respect and they'll take a look at my record collection and be like, You missing this, this, this and this. Therefore you suck. You know, I, I remember worrying about that. And after a certain point, I was like, I feel like I've established who I am enough to where it doesn't really matter. And then now I'm at a point where it truly just has very little impact on me. And, you know, I've contemplated selling things off, but that's a lot of effort. I don't know how to, that's that's hard, you know, it's hard, but potentially worthwhile. Um, But uh, yeah, it is interesting to see how like Corona has really brought that out where just I'm seeing a lot of pictures of record collections and not individual records I'm seeing like walls of records where you can't even read the spines we're just seeing someone's wealth you're just seeing someone's wealth what they've accumulated and people are into that you know it's it's not like I'm saying there's anything wrong with it because people are interested in that it's a niche it's a niche and there are people who appreciate it but for me, I just had—I got to a point where I was like, oh, this isn't something I actually care about. And that was a relief. I've had that relief a few times where just being honest with myself and being like, this was important to me. And I know why—I know what was important about it. But in the bigger picture, this is something I can kind of let go of. And maybe I'll revisit it because I've let go of things that I have come back to me. And I've thought, oh, I thought that I was done with that thing. And it turns out I actually want it back. I've had that literally happen. I mean, I remember selling some, some records and CDs and things that I thought I didn't like anymore. And four years later being like, I want that back. And now it's harder to find. Uh, so that's you can have that experience very literally with the items you own. But it can also happen uh, in, in you know a, a more mental level. Or things that you thought no longer served you. You actually did want. You actually wanted that. Even just temporarily. I mean you can do it with your diet. If you've ever gone on a diet you can go, oh I don't need that anymore. I don't need ice cream anymore. I'm done with ice cream. Oh I'm so glad to be done with ice cream. And then it's like two years later, a year later, a month later. You're like, I feel like ice cream. And then now you're breaking some rule because you made some big thing about it. It's what happens to people who quit drinking, where it's it's one thing to like get back into drinking because it was causing you problems and it might cause you more problems to start doing it again. But if you made some big deal about it and announced to everybody and, and preached about it, you're kind of screwed because not only do you have to bring this thing back into your life that could potentially be bad for you, but you now feel like a hypocrite. And, you know, I mentioned, I talked a lot about hypocrisy in a recent episode, and so that comes to mind too. We're, we're constantly fearing hypocrisy in ourselves. We want to point it out in others when we see it, and we fear it in ourselves because we think that our identity is compromised when we are hypocrites, even though I think what makes us who we are on a deeper level are the things that are conflicting. They are the things that butt up against each other. They are the things that kind of churn your gut a little bit. And then when you let go of those things, you realize that they didn't really have that big of a role in who you are at all. They really didn't. And that's that kind of relief I'm talking about. Is it's the same thing for me. Like when I couldn't afford to buy very many records, realizing, oh, I don't feel any worse, and in some way I actually feel a little better. Because I realized that that wasn't that important to me. And that can also happen as a creator yourself. You know, I will always be a person who wants to create things. I will always draw. I will always, you know, want to play guitar, you know, make, record things. There will always be a part of me that wants to do that. But but that's not, it, it's not like the core of me. It doesn't define me. And that was another relief. Because you think, like, there's this idea that, oh, if you're a creative person and you, you can't create, you're going to die. Have you, have you heard about uh, what happens scientifically, medically to creative people when they don't create? They die. There's that idea out there. And artists love to perpetuate that. It makes them feel very, it makes their art feel important. And maybe they believe it. And maybe some people do die. Maybe some people do die when they can't create. I don't know. Or maybe it maybe it doesn't literally kill them. But it uh, causes them to find relief in other outlets that are less than healthy. Maybe drugs or something. Although I feel like creativity is a gateway to drugs for sure. <laughs> and not the other way around. I don't feel like drugs, you know, while people can have creative ideas on drugs, I do feel like creativity itself draws some unhealthy habits into your life. And, and that was something I realized with myself, too. And I think that was one of the reasons why I felt some relief when I realized that this stuff wasn't as important to me as I thought it was, was that I realized that it really provoked this negative feeling in me. This competitive feeling sometimes not a lot like i didn't, i didn 't feel like the things I was making were in direct competition with other people, but I felt like I was having to push myself to to get better and to do things better or to be different because it 's not just better as in technical you know i'm not don 't feel like i 'm a very technically uh, skilled person i don 't feel like i 've put in enough practice to be a technically skilled person, but I feel like i've pushed myself to be different in certain ways or or to hone certain things that make what I do unique and while I was doing that partly because I genuinely wanted to there was a part of it that there was this sort of like me against the world like I said not directly competing against a, a specific person or anything but there was this kind of competitive edge that gave me a feeling I didn't like entirely but it's all sometimes you depend on that edge too to do what you want to do, and maybe you reach a point where you don't have to rely on that as much. I know that when I am creative now, I don't feel like that's as big of a part, but I feel like it's a slippery slope too, and I find that when I'm in a creative headspace where I'm really placing a lot of emphasis on being creative, I can very easily fall into a place where those feelings come back and where I even encourage them and embrace them. And that changes who you are. You know, it changes who you are while you're doing that. And if it changes you into somebody that you don't really want to be or that you feel you've outgrown, it's nice to know you can go there again. You know the directions. You know, you, you may not live in that house anymore, but you know the directions by heart. And that's good because you know, once you start taking certain streets... You're like, oh, I'm going back there again. I'm going back there again, and I know what's going to happen if I go back to that place. So you can catch yourself. You don't want to forget the directions, you know. Uh, I think that's something that happens with people where they, they change themselves or, or, or their life changes. And they think, oh, I, I need to forget the directions. I mean, you could make a substance abuse comparison where it's like, I need to delete my drug dealer's number. Otherwise, I'll call him. And it's kind of like that, with, I think, with some of these mindsets, these negative outlooks, these slippery slopes, is that you almost try to forget the directions to get back to that place because you're worried that it'll make it easier to go back there, when I think the opposite is true. Because you memorize the directions, you actually can catch yourself much sooner, you hit that stop sign, and you're like, oh, this is familiar. I've been here. And then you uh, can turn around. You do a Yui. No, but you don't You don't even have to do a Yui. You don't even have to do a Yui, as they say. Speaking of DuckTales, speaking of Scrooge McDuck, Yui, Louie, and Dewey, right? <laughs> Huey, Louie, and Dewey, and Yui. Yui is the one, Yui is the duck, uh, the triplet... From Ducktales that you don't hear about, because he did a U.E. and he got the hell out of there. It turns out they were actually uh, what is it called a quintuplet? Is that is that five? I don't even know. Maybe there are five. Here I am. I'm revolutionizing. Uh, I, I'm not revolutionizing. I'm uh, I'm changing the story here, and I'm saying that first that there were four. Uh, duck, ducklets. I can't even think of what they're called right now. Huey, Louie, and Dewey triplets, duck triplets. I'm saying there's four, but I'm, I'm thinking there might actually be five, maybe even six. Maybe there's an endless amount. Maybe there's an army. Maybe there's as many of the duck nephews, because they're all Donald Duck's nephews. Maybe there's as many of the duck nephews as there are coins in Scrooge McDuck's vault. And maybe there's someone out there who's collecting them. Maybe there's someone who's collecting all the Huey, Louie, Dewey, Dewey, Huey, Mooey. I can't. I feel like if I start adding other letters, it's gonna get offensive. Don't want to put a J on there or something. Jesus. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so someone's out there collecting ducks. That's my new thing, because that's something that happens too. Is if you give up something that was materially important to you. You replace it with something else. I mean, it happens with addiction, but of course it also happens with material consumption, where it's very easy to replace something with something else. And that's where things play into spiritual materialism as well, which is a phrase that comes up now and again, the idea of spiritual materialism, where you put a lot of emphasis on ritual and you know, wearing the right garb and doing things the right way, having the right book, oh you, oh, you have a, a book you have the teachings of the Buddha book, edited by Jack Cornfield. but you know you should really get an older version edited by this monk oh you're reading uh, you're reading that, huh? Uh, well, i I recommend you read this. oh, that's how you think about it. Well, maybe you should think about it this way. Oh, that's what you're getting out of this teaching? Uh, Maybe you should take this approach. You know, and I I really think you should wear the robe. I really think you should wear the robe, and I like these beads, but maybe you should wear these beads instead. And that's, you know, uh, the more obvious form of spiritual materialism, which is like the ritual and the dress and the tradition... But it even gets into the ideas and the things that you hold on to. The things that you think you need to get out of whatever it is you've delved into. And of course, people who get into spirituality are often trying to escape something that they were dependent on, addicted to, collecting. They're trying to get away from whatever it was that they put on a pedestal. Whether that was a substance, whether that was a a feeling whether that was a relationship people who get into spirituality are often trying to replace something else with that and uh you know I'm I'm conscious of that and I realize that I've done that in certain ways not just with like spiritual ideas but really any ideas any ideas that I've had in life I feel like sometimes I have to catch myself and be like am I really am I gravitating toward that Because I'm replacing something else. And is there anything wrong with just replacing something else? And people even do that with their relationships. You see it with codependent people who get out of a relationship and have to immediately get back in. Because there is a void there. And they are trying to fill a void. And the currency of that void is another person. So they get out of a relationship and they're like, Something's wrong and I need another person. uh, But you can really do that with anything. I'm not collecting records. I'm collecting thoughts. I'm now really into this. And I hate that other thing that I was into, because that's an easy trap to fall into, too. And you see that a lot with substance abuse, where it's like I never had any good times. And I hate that thing that I was really into all those years. When, uh, you know, I think for some people... That's a form of going back down that familiar route. They want to, with people like that, they want to forget the route to get where they once were because they're afraid even going down one of the same streets will lead them right back where they were. And for some people, I think that's true. And I think it's important to forget the way back. But I know for me, if I were to accidentally take a wrong turn and see a familiar street, I don't want to feel like I'm being sucked into—I don't want to feel like I'm being carried down a conveyor belt and I can't do anything but go back to where I was at. If I take that wrong road and I find myself somewhere familiar where I don't want to be, I want to be able to turn around. I want to be able to take a left or a right or do whatever— and not feel like I have no choice but to go back there. And so, for me personally, remembering the directions, remembering how I got there, is an important part of that. And uh, just to go back to you know records and that whole idea, you know, I don't think that they're unhealthy. I think there are a lot worse things you could be into than collecting records. Um, but I, I know for me. I just knew that it wasn't it. And it wasn't even a part of it. And it was a relief to accept that. And you have to be willing to take some relief where you can find it. It might be temporary. You know, it it might be... Or it might be permanent. You know, you might permanently be relieved. You might permanently feel grateful when you let go of something... Uh, and you have to remind yourself to be grateful. And I don't think anybody has that relationship with records. <laughs> I don't think anybody like goes through life thinking, you know, I'm so thankful that I'm not going to record stores every day and trying to find something else to keep that high alive. I'm so thankful. You know, I don't think anybody's really saying that to themselves in the same way that you know recovery people say to themselves, God, I'm so grateful this morning that I'm not hungover. You know, I don't think people do that about records, but at the same time, we see where these things do create a dependence in people. They're toys. You know, they could be toys. I remember as a kid, I loved getting action figures. You know, action figures were my thing. And, you know, they were a high, too, though. Uh, And, you know, there's never really enough of the things that get you high, you know, if, if something gets you high, you can never really get enough of it. Uh, but I think you can find it normally. I think you, you can attain that high without anything, without getting your hands on anything. I think that you can achieve a certain high, too. And that's a, another dimension of spiritual materialism, where, you know, people get addicted to meditation or addicted to going to retreats. And tapping into that headspace and having this person teach them. They get addicted to their teacher. They get addicted to all kinds of things. They get dependent on it and they think they need that. And they think that in order to be a spiritual person they have to be high all the time. They think that they have to feel that enlightened state all the time otherwise they're not doing what they should be doing. And I think that the... the, the, the actual process of all this stuff is that you accept whatever you're feeling at any given time. And and that itself becomes, you know, something almost blissful. Like you feel just as good when you're not getting something as you do when you're being given something or when you're finding something. Uh, and realizing that you're always going to be climbing that mountain one way or another, too, and just enjoying the process. It's like Camus and uh, Sisyphus, Sisyphus, whatever his name is, Sisyphus. Uh, it's, It's that kind of thing, you know, Camus asking this question, basically, like, why can't Sisyphus be happy just pushing the boulder up over and over again? It plays into that idea, too, and who's to say he can't? He's certainly getting good exercise, he's certainly getting stronger, Although maybe there's some caveat to that story where he never gets stronger, so it's just always really difficult. I don't know. Uh, But if you recognize you're always going to be doing that one way or another, you can just accept it. And then you might find that, hey, you know, I really liked my life more when I was getting records in the mail every day. I really liked my life more when I was, you know, getting that latest craft beer, And posting a picture of it and telling everybody how good it was. Reviewing it. I really liked my life more when I was reviewing IPAs on the internet. Maybe that's what you'll find. Once you accept that you're always going to be pushing that boulder. And maybe some people don't even need to go there. They don't even need to go there in their mind. Because they're already happy doing what they're doing. And they don't have to ask these questions. But I know in my case, I do. And maybe that's my boulder. Is having to question things, having to challenge myself. You know, having having to ask myself if what I'm doing is really what I want to be doing. Uh, You know, maybe um, maybe my boulder is just letting go of things and briefly feeling relief, letting things roll back to the bottom of the hill, only to have to do it all over again in some other way. You know, maybe that's the thing that I'm dependent on. And you can see where you can really spin your wheels out over this stuff. You can really spin your wheels out over it, but uh, it's, it's something that at the end of the day I choose to do because you realize, too, like how much choice you have in whatever it is you're focused on. You realize how much choice you have. And with everybody locked in, it's a great time to think about what you truly have control over. It's a great time to think about where you can exercise choice. And uh, for some people right now, it's cleaning everything. I mean, I was reading something online where people are like, if you go to the grocery store, wash your fruits and vegetables with soap and water, which doesn't seem right, and they're like, and leave stuff in your garage for a long period of time so that it disinfects. And I'm just like, man... It's good to take precautionary measures but should we operate that way? Should we be that consumed by what's going on that we are trying to micromanage every little thing we come into contact with and disinfect every single thing we touch? You know, I think the the bigger things you do, yeah. And I'm not I'm not giving recommendations here. I'm not endorsing any approach to the pandemonium and pandemic. Uh, but I, I, I saw that and I was just like, "Is that, that's just another thing. If, if you're going to do that, if you're literally going to try to clean everything, inside and outside of your house, if you're going to take precautionary measures about everything, if that, if that makes you feel better, that's cool. But for me personally, I'm just like, wow, I can't do that. I know it's not worth it. Staying away from disease is not worth this almost other form of disease. I can't let it consume me in that way. But um, it's about all I got. That's all I got here. I am interested in in the way that this impacts people's attachments. Because I think it'll be a great opportunity for people to decide what's actually important to them. And obviously people are. I think this is a great example of why and how people are important to each other, and that's something that you shouldn't let go of. You know that that's something that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be as dependent. You know, maybe you shouldn't be addicted to other people's approval and other people's attention. And there are different ways that you should you know, keep your relationship with people in check. But I think one good thing going on right now is we are realizing the importance of other people. And we are realizing the importance that we have to other people as well. And not in the sense that they appreciate and love us, although that's a part of it too. Um, But they are depending on us in certain ways. They are depending on us to act a certain way. They are depending on us to to live a certain way while they do the same and that's very interesting and I'm curious what's going to come out of that and this is all I got so I'm going to go ahead and end it Uh, I appreciate anybody who's listening (laughs) thanks